This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. To open up Creature Comforts for 2020, we're calling in one of our favorite guests, Biologist Joe McGee is here to talk about what he's seeing and hearing with the frogs of the state. With so many different species of frogs calling Mississippi home, do you know the difference between the sounds a spring peeper and a chorus frog make? Or what does a squirrel tree frog sound like? We'll talk about that and some other aspects of these leaping creatures with Joe. And Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. So give us a call to join this conversation this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Just a reminder, if you ever miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone has had a good holiday. Good morning. Good morning. I got through the Christmas season with the cat only breaking two ornaments, uh, both of which fortunately were repaired. Actually, what I don't do a Christmas tree, but I did have the little display of various Santa Claus things that I have. And, and uh, it was at a spot where he uh, seemed to enjoy knocking them off of the uh, of the counter there. So two of them broke, but good old Elmer's glue is, is always nice to have around there. So... Uh, like I said, I hope everyone else had had some good a uh, good holiday and ready to tackle the new year here. Uh, Libby, we always like to start out with events on the horizon. What about the Family Fun Science Night? Family Fun Science Night is coming up at the National Science Museum, and a new exhibit will be opening up in the next few days. So I would say go online and check everything that's about to happen in the new year because there's several events out there that are coming up. And uh, the new exhibit is Robot Zoo, which okay. is going to be fun. So um, in another few days, that'll be doing. And I guess th- my thing today is to encourage people to get outside. I always feel like this is the best time to be outside in Mississippi. We're going to be having some rainy days coming up soon, but in between rains, it'll be a good time to take walks. Uh, this is still a good time to go to state parks and rent a cabin. Mm-hmm. All over the state. It definitely is. Some of my favorites this time of year are Tishomingo State Park and Coleman State Park. They're always fun. Of course, Roosevelt is so quick and easy to go to. I like that, too. But all over the state, they're wonderful state parks. Shepherd State Park on the coast, if you want to get um, a little further south. But... Um, uh, lots of good reasons to get outside this time of year, including the no mosquitoes thing. We're pretty sure, although I won't say we can't have them on January the, the 10th, but um, less likely to run into any bug problems. Just remember there are plenty of ticks. That's right. Still, you need to deal with your ticks. Put deed on your boots and socks. But so, um, Joe's going to tell us about the frogs calling so that's a reason to get outside at night and i don't know who else saw the moon was incredible last night and uh it's not yet full either is it no and i'm wondering if we'll be able to see it tonight and tomorrow night i don't know it may be too rainy but last night was it was beautiful Tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow night, uh, it's kind of iffy, but it, it'll probably be a great night for frogs, but it's going to be stormy, I'm afraid. I meant to look up. I don't know what the first full moon of the year is. Some listener may know and tell us. But All it right. Was, we will it, check it, it on It certainly that as well. was a beautiful moon. 
So uh, tell us if you could, and, and don't want to spoil too much of the fun, What the robot zoo. That sounds oh, okay. interesting. Okay, we'll go back to that. Well, and I haven't learned as much about it as I need to, but I know it is um, animatronic kind of animals. So... Um, I'll have to learn more about it for next <laughs> next Thursday, I guess, and tell you more about it. All righty. And I've got uh, the Google machine open here for first full moon of 2020, and it says January 10th. That's tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, But you're right. I think I'm, it'll be full, but it'll be obscured, I think, by a lot of clouds here in Mississippi, at yeah. least. That's well, for sure. It was almost full last night and beautiful. All right, uh, Java, our producer, found something in the news. It says um, there was a big shakeup in the dog show world for the first time in championship history. A toy breed was named Best in Show, a fluffy Pekingese named Wasabi. At only 20 months old, uh, is Wasabi ushering in a new surge in toy dogs? First of all, Dr. Major, what's, what's the definition of a toy dog? A small dog? Um, it's, to a certain extent, it depends on the breed, and it's kind of a loosely... Uh, use system. I know people sometimes have gone out to, and bought a toy dog and found out that it was 15, 20 pounds. Usually you're thinking of a dog less than 10 and depends on the breed and probably more in the, say, 7 or 8 pound range. Uh, a toy chihuahua, for example, would be more like 3. Uh, so it depends on the breed to a certain extent. All right, now, I, I, I just need to ask, is a chihuahua not small enough to begin with that you have well, to make the toy size one? I have a friend out in Lubbock, uh, and he says they have chihuahuas out there, but they're about 20, 25 pounds. <laughs> bigger chihuahuas. Here we call those feist, probably. Yeah. Uh, those of you who remember uh, Farmer Jim Neal. Yeah, yeah. And his feist dog. But uh, feist, in my opinion, a feist is any dog that looks like it would chase squirrels and cats. That's about, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a loosely uh, loose definition. Now, that Pekingese, it's hard to see what kind of dog that is because of all the hair. I mean, you could use it. Uh, I mean, it, its hair goes to the floor. You can barely see its eyes. And I can only imagine the... Uh, time it's taken grooming that dog and preparing it for show that's a constant thing i'm sure well and i would say i don't know if the owners do it themselves but if they do uh, employ a groomer that's probably a, a well compensated groomer that's for sure 20 right. months old and I, I don't know a whole lot about dog shows is that young for a, a champion <sighs> yes and no uh the uh the other dog show i believe it's called the national dog show uh it was in philadelphia and I saw the dog that won that, and it was a greyhound. Hmm. Uh, and that dog had won 40-something best of shows. So that dog had been shown a lot. The Pekingese, I don't know. And, and it's almost like you get addicted, I think, probably. Plus, it costs a lot of money to take a dog to these shows and have a trainer, uh, somebody to show it. And in this case, probably the trainer, uh, shower was probably doing the grooming as well. Uh and it can be quite expensive, so I'm sure this dog probably had been shown uh, just about every week of its adult life. Let's put it that way. So, all right, it, it was it was young, but it was not that young. So people take breeds and make toy versions of them, which I assume is smaller. Do they ever take something and try to make it bigger, like a giant dachshund, for instance, or something along those lines? <laughs> well, you know, there are different types of dachshunds. There's so, uh, a 
large one. Some of these dogs weigh probably 30 pounds or so, and then you've got the smaller ones. Miniature dachshund, you would say, would be probably in the 10-pound 10, 10 range, and then in between. Uh, no, I'm thinking of like a dachshund the size of a golden retriever or something. I understand what you're saying. And <laughs> certainly there have been crossbreeds and mixed breeds, and it is very difficult sometimes when you try to cross a particular breed or to get one larger, for example, or smaller, there may be some genetic problems uh, associated with that. So I would say, you know, the golden doodle right now is very popular, mm-hmm. uh, golden retriever and uh, poodle, and those, those make excellent pets. And they're very popular. Uh, and they're very large. <laughs> they're pretty large, but to tell you that you can produce a dog that's going to weigh 150 pounds by crossing certain breeds, I think you're asking for trouble, such as bone structure and this sort of thing. Now, is the, do cat breeders tend to? I mean, it seems to me that when you think about sort of cross breeds and things, that there's more more dogs than cats. Is that the case, or am I? Actually, population-wise, there are more cats than there are dogs uh, as far as uh, owned by pet owners. And then if you look at the feral cat program, uh, whichever is maybe not a program, but cats probably outnumber dogs by a good bit. As far as breeding, uh, there's if you'll go look at all the different breeds of cats, it's gone crazy. Hmm. Uh, they have crossed and breed. You've got a California curl. You've got a... Some of these dwarf cats, which I don't agree that you, they, they're like a regular cat, uh, a lot of them with uh, small legs, uh, they have some issues as well. So, But there's a lot of different breeds of cats. If you'll go Google, look those up, it's, it just keeps going on and on. Hmm. Well, I'm happy with my, my plain old tabby cat, so he's, he's enough of a handful for me. So. Well, you know, you know that's, that's, that's very true, and there are plenty of cats at the shelters. Uh, I have more cats than I need right now. <laughs> Jingles is 16 pounds. He's still growing, I think. He was originally named Porch Kitty. Uh, somebody left him on the porch, and uh, he, we call him Jingles now. And he's the sheriff. He keeps all the other cats in in, in, in place. <laughs> and uh, But uh, then there's Three-Legged Kitty, and that's her name, Kitty. Uh, she's probably the sweetest cat I've ever had. So, it's, you know, it's... Cats' personalities, uh, they, they're pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. All right, let's get a call in before our first break. So we'll say good morning to Kelly, who's calling in from Pascagoula. Good morning, Kelly. You're on the air with us. Hi, good morning. Go ahead. Um, I'm calling. So we've got a new puppy for Christmas. And um, just the questions I have are, Regarding, um, she's chewing on everything, so I'm looking for some ways to discourage that um, healthily for her. And um, one thing I know someone recommended was rawhide, um, but I've been in the stores and they've got some actually some products based on pig, and so there seems to be some controversy, I guess, on the rawhide versus the pig. So those are basically the two questions that I have. Well, first first of all, with the chewing, uh, it's something you have to pretty much accept with a puppy. It is going to chew. It's teething. Uh, They will have permanent teeth in by the time they're, depending on the breed, uh, four months to five months, they'll get the permanent teeth in. So that's one reason they chew a lot. And it can get to be a destructive habit. How are you taking care of her during the day? Uh, And is she kenneled when you're gone? Um, well, I walk out of my house, which okay. is good. So I keep her not 
kennel completely, but I keep her confined right. to like the kitchen and laundry room area. And I try to take her out about every hour um, and to give her, you know, it's a little bit of exercise so she's not. Yes. I would work on a toy that she likes that she can actually chew on. And mm-hmm. there are toys, if you'll go online, uh, there are toys that are indestructible almost. <laughs> and uh, I, we've bought some of those for our large dog. And uh, she will chew on those and make out like she's killing it and everything. But, <laughs> but those, those don't. And I, I would suggest in most cases not to overdo the toys. Uh, I've got one dog right now, a puppy that uh, has way too many toys. But uh, two or three favorite toys, something to chew on. I would stay away from the rawhide, especially with a puppy, simply mm. because they may get to a point of it and uh, swallow a bigger piece than they need to and choke. Oh, gotcha. So okay. they make toys, uh, chews that are either edible and not harm, you know, not harmful or toys that are uh, such as uh, give a brand name, Nylabone. Um, mm-hmm. they, they have those scented uh, and a lot of the dogs like to chew on those. As far as uh, what was your other question? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, it was about the rawhide. Right. I would stay away from that okay. right now. Okay. 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 Right. good. Kelly, uh, thanks for your call. I know that my brother's dogs like those um, the ones that you put the little treat inside the toy, and the, they have to kind of dig it out of there. They seem to have a lot of fun with that. All right, time for our first break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest, wildlife biologist Joe McGee. Or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call as well. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 During the break, we'll play some sounds that Joe captured. We want to see if you can identify the frog. So listen closely and see if you can identify it. Uh, give us a call and if you have the answer after the break. We'll stay tuned with for more. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio, our guest is Joe McGee. We're talking all things frogs, looking for your frog questions and comments, your brushes with wildlife, and your pet questions. To join the conversation, the number is one mpb ring Just call us at one 672 7464 or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll get to Joe in just a minute, but we do have a couple of callers on the line, so let's uh, start with uh, Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I'd like to ask Dr. Major a question uh, right quick. Uh, deer hunters say they've seen uh, quite a few uh, evidence of coyotes out in the woods, and I'm wondering, do coyotes and dogs, can they mate, or are or, or coyotes more of a, in the fox family, because they look more like foxes to me? There are quite a few, and some of the things that you see might be more uh, a mix, and they call them coy dogs. Uh and they get fairly large. We've seen some uh, German Shepherd size uh, mixed breed. So yes, they can mate and can. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how the 
pack part would go with that, but uh, can, some fairly large, fairly large uh, koi dogs. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. And they are more closely related to dogs, aren't they, than foxes? Yeah, yes. fo- yeah. foxes they're are a, a different they genus. Came, yeah, they're all... Right. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on. Next, we've got uh, Bill in Greenwoods on the line. Good morning, Bill. Go ahead, please. Uh, how y'all doing? Uh, I want to ask you about a question about a frog, but, you know, uh, uh, around here, the toads, I haven't seen them very much. You know, I used to, uh, in the summertime, I would come home, and I would get out of my car and look on my driveway because there was just a bunch of them on my driveway. But I don't even see them anymore, and I just wonder what happened to them. And the little tree frog, green tree frogs, I've only got one now on my window. Uh, toads and green tree frogs are summertime frogs. You're more likely to see those in the summer than this time of year. Summer no more. It's been been two or three years now. I haven't seen one. I used to when I was a little boy, I'd see poodles everywhere. Yeah. Populations ebb and flow. I don't know exactly why you're not seeing them. Uh, be sure and check again when, as the as things warm up. They, you know, they might, the population might rebound. I don't know for sure. I'm not sure what kind of toads you were seeing. Probably Fowler's toads. Uh, and they're, they're still around. I don't know why you've lost your local population, if in fact you have lost it. It may be at such a low ebb that there are not many around. But the green tree frogs, you won't see those until the weather really warms up in April, probably. All right, uh, Bill, good to hear from you again. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Joe, I think uh, you did record some things for us today, and the first recording kind of zipped by me, so I asked Java if he could play it again for us. Now, that's that's a fairly common sound here in Mississippi in, in terms of frogs. What's, uh, what's that we just heard? Indeed. That's one of the most common sounds you can hear this time of year. That's the spring peeper. Okay. That's the spring peeper. Uh, you might think, well, why is it called a spring peeper? It's still winter. But they were named by naturalists in the Northeast, you know, New York and Massachusetts and so They forth. don't hear them until the spring. They don't hear them until it really warms up, till it is spring. But I'll bet you that... It, They'll be calling tonight and tomorrow night. Tomorrow night might not be the best time to try to hear them, though. It's going to be stormy, I understand. But these rainy night, rainy, warm nights are really good times to hear them. And they're almost ubiquitous. Almost every depression, rain-filled depression has got them. Uh, They're not everywhere, but uh, they seem to be. You were right there. It's one of the most common sounds. And you can hear them through, mm, at least in central Mississippi, through early April, mid-April, perhaps. Mm -hmm. They begin to taper off. A northern part of the state might hear them a little bit later. So give us an idea. How do you go about uh, recording frog sounds? We give, how did you do that? I, I can't believe you're asking me of all people that because I am not very tech savvy. did it with this. Ah, my the phone. smartphone. There did we go. I did it with my phone. Uh, put an app on there to, um, to record them. And um, the, the, you run into interesting problems. For instance, the, you couldn't hear it there because there, there were no cars. If, if a car comes by, you know, usually you're in... Uh, Shouting distance, shall we say, of a road, and uh, that that creates a problem. Oh, at my house, I have a problem with a train. There's a railroad track south mm. of me, but uh, just yeah, it's all it takes is a smartphone. 
But if I remember from your previous visits when we've talked about frogs, you're you're probably going to rec- find them by listening and not seeing them because they're kind of reclusive. That's, that's right, and they're it's they're nocturnal, easy to hear, much more difficult to see. And the spring peepers average about an inch in length, probably. <laughs> so that's kind of small. But I did I, I made that recording Monday night. Mm-hmm. I believe this. I believe it was Monday night. And uh, I did see a few, and actually photographed some. Not real good photographs, but I managed to photograph some. Something I run into, of course, they're in or around water, right? The water is going to reflect the flash back. I have to find them with a flashlight first, and kind of triangulate till I find one, and then try to photograph it. And I've got the flashlight in one hand, the camera in the other. I need a third hand, uh, but uh, I, there is a flash on the camera. So once I get see where it is i don't have to have the flashlight on it anymore but uh because there is a flash on my camera it it kind of reminds me of the um the bucket brigade with uh, tom mann yes uh, definitely. <laughs> so we we appreciate what you biologists go out there and do out in the wild to help us uh, yeah. understand what's out there a whole lot better um it, it, now in terms of what what frogs we might see and how many does the i guess the temperature if it's a warm month versus a colder month than average does that have an effect on what we might be seeing uh there are cool, what I refer to as cool season frogs and warm season frogs. I mentioned the green tree frog to Bill mm-hmm. called it a little while ago. That's definitely a warm season frog here in the summertime. Uh, this time of year we have the cool season frogs, which are the spring peepers, the most ubiquitous one. But there are two or three others. There's the uh, uh, southern leopard frog, which calls especially, I bet they'll be calling tomorrow night, maybe tonight, and the upland chorus frog, if you live in central and northern Mississippi. If you live in southern Mississippi, it'd be the southern chorus frog. And they call, they do call on warmer nights, warmer for this time of year. If temperature starts dropping down in the low 30s, they, well, you don't hear, I don't hear the chorus frogs even if it's in the 40s. There are some spring peepers that are called, it's hovering around freezing and there's some still going. Uh, but if it drops down in the 20s, you know, it's silent. You don't, that's not a good night to to listen for frogs or try to photograph frogs. So when you say warm nights, you're talking 40s and 50s. Yeah, and a night, I think it's going to, isn't the temperature going to hover around 60 tonight maybe and tomorrow night? That'll be a good night for frogs. That is a warm night for the winter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Warm nights in the winter are very different than warm nights in the summer. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, what are frogs eating this time of year? You'd be surprised. It's invertebrates, and there are more invertebrates out there than you'd realize. Now, a nice thing about uh, observing frogs this time of year, the, mosquitoes are not much of an issue. I hardly ever experience one, but there are. you can get bitten by a mosquito in January. Uh, it can happen. But, yeah, there are small invertebrates that they find, tiny little insects uh, that sustain them through this and have sustained them for thousands of years. And again, is this? Uh, are they becoming active this there because we're entering breeding season and they're letting each other know that they're yeah. out there? Yes, it is breeding season for the spring peepers, uh-huh. for the chorus frogs, for the leopard frogs. Uh, what am I leaving out? There's, I'm probably forgetting something. There's several species of chorus frogs in Mississippi. Some of them are a bit problematic. There's a Cajun chorus frog, which was not even recognized until several years ago. And it does occur in West Mississippi. In fact... It may occur where you live, Libby. Don't you live west of Jackson? Yes. You may have Cajun chorus frogs if there are ponds around your house or okay. in you your neighborhood. Okay, you need to teach me what to, what to listen for then. I'm learning that myself. Is the, is the call different? They are, but subtly different. 
got that South Louisiana accent. So I'll on. have there to record there you go. it. There I'll you have go. to record it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm very interested in recording the Cajun Chorus Frog. I want to make sure that's what it is and uh, photographing it if I can. Uh, Tom is planning. Tom Mann, you were mentioning mm-hmm. it. The museum is planning to collect a sample from a Cajun Chorus Frog and send it to somebody for genetic analysis to make sure that's what it is. What's the one that sounds like you're rubbing on a comb? That's the uh, the Upland Chorus Frog, and I sent uh, Java if he would play it. I sent him a. Uh, I, I made a good, if I may say so, a good recording of an Upland Chorus Frog. Sounds like you're rubbing your thumb mm-hmm. down a comb. That's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I'll, all right. So let's he's, listen. He, he's giving us a thumbs up here. Yeah, that is. You can. All right, so tell me the name on that one again. Is the that's the Upland, Upland Chorus Frog? All right, that's officially my favorite frog now. Yeah, I like that one, and uh, <laughs> brings back. I can remember hearing that growing up, mm-hmm. and uh, I recorded that one in Jasper County at a horse paddock. The the folks I asked, you know, it was on private land. I asked at their driveway at the entrance to their driveway. As a sign said, "Welcome." I thought I'm going to take them up on that. <laughs> so. Uh, I went, it was night when I happened to see it. I'm not going to go knock on somebody's door at night and say, I mean, can, I, can I look at your frogs? But uh, they were most cordial and, and uh, let me go. In fact, just you know, said, help yourself, which I did. And got that very good recording and some pretty good pictures, too, if I might say so. All right, it's uh, time for another break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion of frogs in Mississippi with our guest, Joe McGee. Also, Dr. Major's here, ready for your pet questions. You can call questions and comments, brushes with nature if you've had one, to 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Right now, though, the latest edition of one of our newest features on creature comforts, it's Bird Note. For more information on BirdNote, you can go to their website, which is birdnote.org. This is BirdNote. On a chilly day, midwinter, you notice a large nest made of sticks, high in a leafless cottonwood. Atop the nest sits a large, dark shape, its broad head sporting two ear-like tufts, suggesting a cat's ears. A female great-horned owl is incubating two eggs. A light snow falls on her back as her mate roosts unseen in a nearby conifer. Since December, this pair has been hooting back and forth regularly at night. Why risk the year's most severe weather by nesting now? Probably because great-horned owlets, which hatch after a month of incubation, must remain near their parents a long time compared to many other birds, right through summer and into early fall. During this time, young owls learn the skills they need to hunt on their own before the rigors of the next winter set in. This adaptive strategy has proven very successful, Great-horned owls are the supreme predatory nightbirds from the northernmost forests of Canada to Tierra del Fuego. We have a photo of that owl covered in snow on our Facebook page. Have a look. For Bird Note, I'm Mary McCann. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio, we have Joe McGee. We're talking about all things frogs. If you'd like to join our conversation with a question or comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org and a reminder uh, that if uh, you are interested in that new feature that we have a bird note and want to know more information about it you can go to their website which is birdnote.org all right we got a caller on the line so we'll say good morning to eric who's called in from liberty good morning eric you're on the air with us go ahead good morning sir uh, my question is is that um, you know there are quite a few people that have house pets and they only have one and you know there's an argument for and against that but uh, I, I would like to know uh, you know about the psychological aspect that you know it being the sole pet in the house uh, and my second question is is with the fact that uh, the habitat of nature uh you know, it's disappearing at an alarming rate. Uh, are you uh, uh, optimistic about uh, the future of animals and frogs and whatever and stuff? I asked that question probably about four years ago, but um, and I was optimistic at that particular time. But, you know, since then, I'm kind of getting a little pessimistic. But anyway, I'll hang up and listen to uh, everybody's uh, opinion about it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Eric, for the call. Uh, Dr. Major, let's start with you and the the idea of a single pet at home and, and what effect, if any, you think that might have on, on dogs and cats and other pets. That's an excellent question. Uh, I would say several things. Number one, I'm convinced that pets take on the uh, attributes of the owner, so that may be enter in. Not always true, but in, in a lot of aspects it is. A lot of pets do perfectly fine uh, by themselves. Uh, in fact, uh, I'd say that uh, probably as far as our clinic and as far as what I see, we see most uh, uh, animals uh, have more than one at home. They have, um, you know, uh, multiple, and that's one of the issues. Sometimes they can have too many. Some people begin to hoard, so that's not a good thing. But I would say that uh, as far as entertainment while you're gone, as far as interaction, that it's probably better in most cases to have an additional pet. But I would also say too, if you only have one pet, that uh, you know, make sure that you when when you're at home, spend some time with it. I always like to try to play with my cat. He you know runs down his tunnel there, so we always try to do that. Give him exercise, also some interaction. Uh, but uh, I mean, I I do think that they get attached to you. I know my cat. It's always good. Well, I think he's happy to see me when I get home. At least that's what I'm interpreting his behavior to mean. Uh, so, you know, so maybe uh, depending on a family situation, one one pet if if need be, but certainly uh, maybe two. What would you say is the optimum? Maybe three pets, uh, Doctor Major? For really hard to say, and of course it might change with uh, multiple species. Uh, I would say this that uh, most times two to three would be the most that most people can manage and take care of, good care of. Because uh, it's, you know, there are costs involved too. And so you don't yes. want to be where you're spending 
too much money or can't uh, spend the needed money on on food and and vet visits and that sort of thing. Uh, Joe, let's uh, talk to the other part of that question, if I'll throw that to you. And, you know, sometimes when we have biologists on the show, habitat loss is is a major concern. Uh, What about our frog population in terms of uh, how healthy is it in Mississippi? And and what do you kind of see maybe as trending in the future in terms of our relationship with wildlife? Our populations are our frog populations seem to be pretty good for most species, but n- not so worldwide. There's n- many species of frogs have become extinct, especially in Australia. And I, th- I mean, if you've seen the news from Australia lately, that is just horrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm uh, a pessimistic optimist about, about nature. I hope for the best, and you know, want the best for the frogs and the birds and everything. But I'm afraid I see a lot of things that are not. That point in a in a bad direction. Uh, Levy, humans are leaving a big, heavy footprint, and yeah, it, I think it, so. And we're not leaving yeah. room for some of the other critters. Yeah, and I would say, Eric, that I believe that that's part of the reason that we do this show is because we want to talk to people about uh, the joy and the um, health benefits and everything else that you receive from getting outdoors and having experiences with nature. And I really do believe that that's part of the secret. If we're going to continue to have wild places, it's going to be because people enjoy using them. That's right. Because people want to have a place to experience nature. And it's great to be able to look forward to the the next natural event. For instance, when the holidays come around, I I know the the frogs going to start calling again. We go through a period yeah. in the fall where there are not many frogs calling. Yeah. But sometime between Christmas and New Year's, our cool weather frogs start, the breeding, the breeding season starts for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I always look forward to that. And it's always reassuring when I do hear them again. I remember hearing the first um, chorus of spring peepers between Christmas and New Year's. And I thought, uh, you know, from my driveway, I could hear them. I thought, ah, oh, there they are again. It's like having the first purple martin show up in the spring mm-hmm. or the first white-throated sparrows show up in f- the fall. You know, they're here in the wintertime. And it's just great to know, well, they're still around. They've, they've made it one more time. Yeah, and to, to many people, it's more fun if you learn things about the habitat. I do think there are people that, that don't care. They want to hear birds and see birds, and they really are not interested in even learning what kind it is. But most of us, I think, have more enjoyment from being our time outdoors when we learn more about it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And MPB does a whole lot to um, encourage that and to help you learn more about it. Um, between NOVA and Nature and all the outdoor shows that they have and then the things that we do on the radio, um, we help people appreciate what we've got. And here in Mississippi, we certainly still have a lot of ways to experience nature. But it's so... Uh we can become so preoccupied with our own affairs and whatnot that we we overlook certain things. Like tomorrow night could be a horror story on the Natchez Trace, which pouring rain, those salamanders and frogs are going to be moving back and forth. Or, well, uh, yeah, forth, yeah. <laughs> uh, and a lot of those get squashed. Yeah. One thing we need to remember is that each of us uh, in our own backyards and everything can establish some habitat for a lot of different animals. Uh, and uh, I think it's important to maybe do some research, consider what uh, you can do in your yard, or if you have small acreage, uh, certainly you can do things that will help to uh, ameliorate, if you will, some of the destruction of habitat 
that we see that, every day. That's mm-hmm. right. Let a corner of your yard or a corner of your place grow up and be weedy mm-hmm. and hope your insurance company doesn't get onto your land. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it doesn't mean having to mow it, I'm all for that, too. So. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Eric, great question. Thanks for that. Uh, stimulated some good discussion. Now let's move on. Next, we've got on the line uh, Jim, who's calling in from Braxton. Good morning, Jim. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, get his opinion on uh, spraying your yard for insecticides like ticks and stuff like that. I never would because of the toads. Now, do you think that's a good idea or what? I, I don't spray at all. Yeah, and I, I know that... Um spring for fleas we definitely decreased our toad population one year when we sprayed for fleas and it took several years to get our toad population back right so i think you have to be very careful i don't know what the effect of well you have to know what pesticide you're talking about and then see what effect it has on the Mm -hmm. on the amphibians the direct effect but there's the indirect effect of depriving them of food and if you use herbicides you're depriving them of habitat and just yesterday, I was somewhat horrified. I don't understand why it happens, but a certain state agency was spraying the road in front of my house. Mm-hmm. Why this time of year, you know, spraying it for... I mean, not, there's only uh, winter annuals growing right now along the, you know, things that are... There is, if you look, you'll see green, little green plants. They're about a half an inch tall. Those are winter annuals, and the heat will get those. You know, I don't see the need to spray herbicide in the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that- some of my, you know, uh, people around my neighborhood here, they they're, they spray all over the yards for fleas and ticks and stuff in the summer. And I thought if you did, you're going to have an impact on the uh, frog or toad population. I got toads around my house, not a lot of them, but a few. So I would never do it. And I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think you're probably right, and if you spray enough, you'll select out uh, some pesticide-resistant fleas eventually and mm-hmm. ticks. Uh, but I understand people don't want to be bitten by fleas and ticks. I appreciate that. But in the summertime, I inevitably, once a day, I remove a tick from my body, from my person. <laughs> but also, though, the toads and the frogs eat the ticks and the fleas, do they not? Well... Or do that's not in their diet? They, they, if one crawls in front of them, they might. They eat invertebrates, and they that could include the ticks and the fleas. I can't honestly say I know of ticks and fleas being eaten by. You know, there have been several publications lately about um, possums eating ticks. Hmm. Have you read any of that? That's a, It's actually kind of a big deal. Evidently, it's a major part of their diet in some places. But don't they also carry fleas? <laughs> yeah, it, <that's, laughs> so they might. Maybe that's a trade-off. Huh? You just have would, to be would, a bit tolerant. I would have to see how the possum could have enough concentration of ticks to be uh, healthy uh, or as a main part of his diet. That's what I would have. Yeah. Possums are opossums. Oh, possums are are very uh, non-selective as far as what they might eat. They can eat a lot of different things, and I'm sure they will eat some ticks if they can. Uh, corral them but that may be an issue all right uh, let's take one more break this hour uh, we are talking this hour with our guest joe mcgee talking about the frog population in mississippi dr majors here ready for some pet questions you can call in to join the conversation the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email the show send it to animals at mpb org. 
We'll, during the break, uh, air some more frog sounds and see if you can identify these coming up. So stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest in studio today is biologist Joe McGee. We're talking all things frogs. Uh, still time to work in a phone call. If you'd like to join our conversation, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. First of all, we are talking uh, before the break about spraying your yard and the effect that it might have on some of the wildlife that's there. Dr. Major made a good point in that if you treat your pets for fleas and ticks, uh, that would reduce the need to have to spray some pesticides around your yard. So we might want to consider that. And Joe, we had another, I think, one of your recordings. If you could uh, tell us what kind of frogs we heard during that last break. Those were basically pine woods tree frogs. Okay. Uh, I, well, I'm sorry. The squirrel tree frog was the dominant sound. And in the background, you could hear pine woods tree frogs. And where did you record those at? Actually, I, that was not one of my recordings. Okay. I don't, it was made in... If it, was, if it was made in Mississippi, it was somewhere south Mississippi, because that's where the uh, pine woods tree frogs are more common. Okay, and squirrel tree frogs occur up, you know, all pretty much all over the state, I think. All right, uh, got an email here and a couple of calls to get to. So this first one has two questions. The first one is: My in-laws have an elderly lab mix that has severe arthritis in her hips, approximately fourteen years old. The vet recently told us that she probably has liver cancer, but wasn't a candidate for treatment. She's now having a hard time getting up and around. We have to help her up to go outside. She's taking two carprofen daily, eating and drinking normally, but obviously in pain. When do we know it's time to say goodbye to her? This is a difficult question we've dealt with a couple times on the show, Dr. Major, but what are your thoughts on trying to decide when a pet should be put to sleep? Pain would be a uh, number one consideration. It sounds like the dog is having some definite pain. Uh, they tolerate pain, and dogs especially tolerate pain a lot better than we might. They don't complain as much, but at the same time, they're having to help her up. I would uh, continue the medication, and at some point, she may be where she can't walk or she's showing signs of pain, such as crying, uh, uh, the cancer. If she has cancer, certainly that would be a consideration. So in this case, she's probably not going to get any better. And I think the thing would be observant and watch for signs of pain and uh, then act accordingly. And obviously you want to stay in touch with your vet because that's the person that's right. you know knows this health history of the dog and that they, I think, can help you make that dis- difficult decision. Exactly. Uh, the other question is a 13-year-old cat was diagnosed with kidney disease. She's F-E-L-V plus, feline something plus maybe? That's feline leukemia. Okay. Uh, but otherwise healthy. We've switched her from science diet, KD, wet and dry food, but she's losing weight rather quickly, acting hungry all the time. Is there anything else you could recommend food recipes that I could make for her? There's some excellent food recipes uh, online, and there's some books written about uh, home cooking for your pet. Uh, I'd say let's Google that and see what you can find. It has to be a diet that's kidney-friendly. Most cats, when they reach that 13, 14, 15-year range, have some degree of kidney failure. Uh, They lose muscle mass. Uh, Kidney's very efficient in pulling uh, 
nitrogen from protein in the muscle, and that's the reason you get a wasting away. Uh, this is something that you can manage to a certain degree, and there are some supplements that your veterinarian can help you with that might help that you can add to her food. All right. Let's try to end up the, the hour with a couple of phone calls. We'll start first with uh, Katie calling in from Louisiana. You're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Oh, hi. Hi. It's so good to talk to you. I recently purchased a retired stud miniature schnauzer. He's about eight pounds. He's five years old. He bites everybody, and I've never had a dog that bit before. Is there anything I can do? He doesn't bite me. He just stays by my feet all day. But is there anything that I can do? Uh, Evidently, he's only been around females because it's mostly my husband that he doesn't like. (laughs) Right. I'm not sure if this biting is a territorial thing or that he's just become accustomed to doing it. Uh, At eight years, it's going to be difficult to... uh, Well, he's five. Okay, I thought you said eight. I'm sorry. Five years old, it's difficult to, uh, uh, what shall I say, change his habits. It may be when you have company, that sort of thing, you may need to use just a uh, simple muzzle uh, to keep him from biting people. Oh, that would be... I guess I should try that. Thank you, Dr. Major. I appreciate talking to you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, get one final call in. To New Orleans we go. Bob's on the line. Good morning, Bob. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Dr. Majors, yes. uh, I've got a 97-year-old dad grieving the fact that his 16-year-old Yorkie puppy is in the dog hospital with anemia. And okay. the dog is going to be fine, I believe, but my dad is so upset that he can't sleep. And the dog appears that he'll stay in the hospital for a day or two longer. Any advice you would give me on how to treat this matter um, when I talk to yes. my dad? Yes. Now, is your dad in the hospital as well? No, he's okay. at home. Okay. No, I was just trying to get some idea. He's uh, at home looking for the dog. Yes. So I, forgetful, you know? I, I understand that. And uh, I would definitely, if he's this puppy is anemic, he's how old? Six, 16. Six, 16, which is right on up there. It's pretty pretty yep. good that he's made it that long my suggestion would be to follow the vet's advice uh get him in better shape and then get him his home home as soon as possible even okay. if it means another day or two at the hospital well how do i comfort dad uh, <laughs> i would say it's going to be difficult but just tell him that he needs the care and that he'll have him home as soon as possible that okay. i know he loves the dog and he's looking for him but just tell him it's essential that he gets better before he comes home. Right. Thank you very kindly. All right, uh, Bob, appreciate the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, so, um, Joe, what uh, what other information about frogs this uh, time? Oh, I know one that I saw on the list that I don't think we've ever uh, talked about. Uh, wh- what do frogs drink? Water. <laughs> they drink water, and they absorb it through their skin. For instance, toads absorb a lot of their water through their belly, the skin on their belly. But, yeah, water, uh, it's very important to them. They, it's one of the reasons they're nocturnal or basically nocturnal, uh, especially those warm-season frogs. If they were out and about in July when it's you know 90 degrees, they might dehydrate. Uh, they don't have to drink a whole lot of water through their mouth, they, and most of it is absorbed through mm. the skin. All right. Um, let's see. we got about a minute left. Anything else? Uh, again, so if we're out and about here in the next uh, couple of weeks or so, remind us of the of the frogs that we might be hearing. Yes, I would uh, encourage everyone to, to learn one at a time. And the first one I would try to learn is the spring peeper. Mm-hmm. They could hardly 
miss it. If, it they've probably already heard it. They just don't realize it. It becomes part of the background sounds, and they just have not tuned in on it. But the Walmart I go to has got spring peepers. <laughs> I've learned to hear the the spring peepers over the sound of the interstate and the hmm. you know the traffic in the in the parking lot. But after. Uh, Learning the spring peepers, then try for one of the upland chorus frogs. If you live in South Mississippi, it would be the southern uh, chorus frog. Mm -hmm. If you live uh, around Vicksburg, it might be the Cajun chorus frog. If you live uh, in most of Mississippi, it would be the upland chorus frog. There's one called the mountain chorus frog. You take a trip. You were mentioning Tishomingo State (laughs) Park earlier. Uh, It's known to occur there in Tishomingo County. And I think you're right. You know, we hear these, but until you start to try to listen for them. It is amazing the way you're like, oh my gosh, there they are. Yeah, you so, got to bring it out. Yeah. That'll wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, visit mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman and the call screener is Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.